0: Are you ready, Sean? I'm ready, Brendan. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to There and Back Again and Again. I'm Sean. I'm Brendan. And as you probably already know, when you're a podcaster, you don't get sick days. And here I am with a little bit of a migraine, and here's Brendan with uh, the beginnings or middle part of a of a head cold or chest cold or some kind of cold here. But we are we're ready to dive in. We're we're too excited about the films that we have on our list today. Is another film that's in both of our top tens. I can't quite recall where it falls on our list. I would I guess I would count on Brendan for that if, if he has that pulled up. But today is a film that as if you've seen our posts about this film at all, you know that this one in particular, I guess out of all the films on our top ten list, probably is the most that it would be considered with the most offensive language in this in our list. I don't really think there's any others that would meet that criteria. So fair warning. If you haven't seen In Bruges before, there is a fair amount of language that you might not appreciate, but if you have, or if that is not something that really truly offends you or throws you off, then you're in for a treat because it is a extremely unique film. The The concept and the writing itself is very original, and it, I think that's the main thing that really made us kind of fall in love with this and rank it as we did in our top 10s and at least have it in our top 10s. But yeah, I, w- I would say it's one of the films, at least in my top 10, that's kind of fluid that I could kind of move around as other films might come in or take higher rankings. But it's 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 such a dialogue-heavy film that it's pretty much what makes it. And Brennan and I were talking beforehand on this one in particular, It it's either it makes or breaks simply on the characters delivering the dialogue well and how they interact with the script and in this one, it just really works based on the casting. So so yeah, In Bruges, directed by Mark McDonough. This is his first direct feature-length directed film. He'd done a, a short film, I think it was called Six Shooter, prior to this, which won him an Oscar. And then other than that, he's mainly been a playwright. So films that are dialogue-heavy would kind of make sense for him in the way that he envisions things and sees them played out as he's mainly worked on stage. So so yeah, diving into in Bruges here, Brendan. Who introduced you to this one?
0: <laughs> well, that would be you, my friend. Oh yeah. Yeah, we were we were hanging out at you were house hitting, which not the first time that's been the story for one of our movies on this podcast. It was a different house in this case, and I came over to hang out one night, and you were like, "Hey, I this I just saw this really great movie, and I want to show you." And I honestly I don't really remember specifically how you introduced it if you were just like hey I'm sure that I mean for me like all you have to say is hey there's this really great movie you want to watch it and of course I'm I'm all in that's why we have this podcast together because we share so many of the same tastes which by the way in Bruges for you you have it at number five and I had it number six so pretty close Um, yeah. As far as the ones that we have in common, except for, of course, Lord of the Rings, which was in the same spot at number one. So, yeah, you were, we just, we watched it that night at that house, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was really well done. Just, obviously, the acting performances are phenomenal. The script is awesome. Just the, as you said, the dialogue is just so clever and so, like, fun and funny, but also it's, not everything is just played up for laughs you know it's a dark comedy there's certainly plenty of of dramatic and serious moments too and it's it's a good balance and yeah it's just it's ever since then it's it's been one of my favorite films and i feel like especially in the context of our this podcast you know where the ideas about like movies that you and i have have either watched together or bonded over or whatever like this i feel like is maybe more than any other movie especially outside of the Nolan category at least. But, you know, for one thing, because we did actually watch it together, that was at least my first time watching it. But, like, there's there's nobody else that I can quote this movie with. You know, that's like, I mean, there's other, like, Monty Python is a movie we'll do soon in my top ten. Like, I can quote that with a lot of different people. You know, there's other movies or shows or whatever that I can quote with my wife or other friends or whoever. But, like, this is like, this is a movie that you and I quote together. And like, nobody else understands the references. And my wife did watch this with me for the first time when we did our rewatch for this podcast just a couple nights ago. And I think it's probably safe to say that that will be the last time that she'll watch it with me <laughs> as well. And I believe that you had a similar experience when you showed it to your wife. But so it will remain just kind of a, a special movie that you and I share. That obviously it's in both of our top tens for a reason, and we'll get into a lot of the specifics as we go about it. But yeah, it's just a just a really great movie, and it's like it's one that like I wish more people knew about it. But at the same time, it's also kind of fun feeling like we have like this hidden gem that not a lot of other people know about.
1: Right, it is really. I remember when I was when I showed it to you, I was on a particular Colin Farrell kick for some reason, and I was watching like all of his films that he'd either been lead in or minor role in there or supporting role so i remember i was in that same like time frame i was watching like minority report and the recruit there was something that he was in with you and something about london and then this one just kind of popped up i remember i would seen the trailer online and just been so intrigued by by the premise and i recognized brendan gleason from somewhere else as well and so and i'm and i'm i'm a big fan of like trying independent independent films like if they, if it looks intriguing and even if it looks dialogue heavier, the story looks kind of quirky. I like giving it a try because I mean, you're right. It is when you do take the chance and you find that hidden gem that you can share with somebody. And then it's like yours. Like it does make that film a little extra special. So yeah. In the way that this film holds that special place for us, I think that's kind of why it remains in the top 10 is just because you know, even if it's not something I rewatch every year, rewatch constantly, when you come back to it, it's just such a, there's a, you know, there's a warm feeling that's set with it. So it it's really, it's a lot for us just to, as individuals to appreciate. And that's why I think I said that if you find this film and you like it as much as we do, then you've, you've really found a gem because it's, it's not for everybody and that's all right. Mm-hmm. Not every, not every film is not even every film in our top 10 is so, but, but yeah, so we kind of review this with every film because we have large bias and we think they should win awards if we like them, (laughs) but this one in particular, I mean, this one caught people's attention because Martin McDonough is very talented, you know, either, either as a director or a writer. And so in this one, he was initially released by the Academy Awards. He was recognized for the screenplay and it didn't win. It was up against a couple other unique films. There was Wally that was in the mix. One that was, I would say just as unique and it was in the more of the independent film range, was called Happy-Go-Lucky. And, you know, again, I'm biased. I think this one should have won Best Original Screenplay. Didn't. Lost out to Milk, the uh, the biographical story of Harvey Milk. And, again, I saw that one. I wouldn't have called it, as far as story goes, like the, the best in the five that were nominated. But maybe it was very uniquely written in the way that it was done, and, and mm-hmm. technically it was... Maybe it was better, but I don't know. It's like, it's hard to beat. I feel like it's hard to beat like a playwright writing a screenplay, but maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, it should have won, but didn't. And he had other chances coming up in later years that we'll see. but. But then in the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Picture in the Comedy or Musical category. And then Colin Farrell was nominated for Best Actor in Comedy or Musical. And Brendan Gleeson was nominated in the Supporting Role and Colin Farrell won. That's right. Yes. Colin Farrell won, which was awesome to see. Yeah. Awesome to see because I think because of this, I don't know how he was viewed before this movie, but because of this, I feel like a lot of great opportunities came his way afterwards. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to look at his filmography and see like specifically what kind of immediately followed, but yeah, I mean, there's no, you can't, there's certainly no questioning his chops as an actor, you know, I know he had kind of gone through some personal stuff where he was maybe getting into some trouble or kind of had a reputation as being a, you know, like a, a bad boy or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't remember any of the specifics, but I feel like this was kind of his part of his transition from that phase to just being taken seriously as an actor without all the extra baggage in his personal life. But again, I, I don't remember all the specifics or when
1: all that stuff happened specifically, but...
0: Yeah, I, I mean this this award was certainly certainly well deserved.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was very very happy that he won. He I will say,
0: you know, you were you said you were when you were like kind of finding out about the movie and you were intrigued by the the premise. But you know, obviously the the idea is that I mean, we assume that anybody that's listening to this episode or any episode we do has has seen the movie that we're talking about at least once. But you know, I don't don't know why you would watch, listen to a, a episode about a movie you haven't seen because obviously it would give a lot of way and it would just kind of be hard to follow the discussion. But, you know, the basic premise here is that we have two two Irish hitmen who are sent to this lovely fairy tale medieval, well-preserved medieval town in, in Belgium called Bruges after a, a job gone wrong. And, you know, of course, like hijinks ensue. But, yeah, so it kind of hits you like right in the beginning after, you know, you kind of get the start, just the opening credits with some a little bit of just like kind of piano, very kind of toned down piano music over some, and it's mostly just kind of setting you up for the imagery of the city, the, the old gothic buildings and, and that. Um, but uh, and then it just kind of, you know, all of a sudden you get the, the narration from from Ray or Colin Farrell's character that kind of just kind of puts you right into it
1: yeah yeah i remember that that opening of just where you know it's like you said it's all that imagery and then his his little short little monologue over there that he just says after i killed them i i threw the gun in the thames and washed my hands in the bathroom of a burger king that uh, that also along with the piano score kind of sets the tone for where this is going obviously if you don't know before you get into it like you said you're watching a movie about hitman or multiple hitmen in this and that kind of life and that's what you're going to be exposed to and but yeah the the introduction to just the title too like you know get the heck out of london and get to get to bruges i don't even know where bruges was it's in belgium
0: yeah
1: and then right away you're you're introduced to this relationship with these two hitmen with ray and ken colin farrell playing ray and Brendan gleason playing ken and it's immediately apparent just how well cast they are in this role and how well they play off each other from the very beginning Mm-hmm. with with Ken being the older kind of seasoned more professional of the two and then Ray being a first time hitman with a lot of baggage you know coming into this with with emotional baggage and just immaturity as well and they just they just play into that di- that dynamic so well
0: yeah yeah and it's it's kind of it gives you that and also the you see the comedic aspect of it almost right away you know there's they're kind of their back and forth of like you know, Bruges is a crap hole. No, it's not. It is. It's like, we, we only just got off the train. Can we please reserve judgment until we've actually seen the place? And Ray immediately, once you see him, he's like, he's just kind of like a pouty child. Like the way he wears his jacket, like the collar up. And he's kind of his shoulders up and his head slunk down between his shoulders. And like, he just, he doesn't want to be there. And, you know, first we don't understand why they're there. But, you know, they go to the hotel and he finds out that they're actually going to be sharing one room, which they're not, you know, obviously happy about. And he's he's barely been there, but he's like
1: two weeks in Bruges with you. No way. No way! I'm not being funny. We can't stay here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Ken is just like, give it a chance. Like, he's really optimistic and happy. He's all like, let's take advantage of it. We're here. It's like, you know, treat it like a holiday.
1: Yeah. And they immediately like embark on what Ken wants to do. while they there? You know, and neither well, of them really have an idea why they're there other than hiding out. But he's just like, let's take advantage of it. He's into the culture of it and just dives right in into the sightseeing. And so you've got that great scene of them on the boat where they're just kind of going through the canals and looking at the old buildings and that. Yeah. And, and Ray's question always cracks me up. Do you think this is good? Do I think what's good? You know, the sightseeing and all that. Yeah, it's just like you see like Ken's excitement as seeing like this is a hospital built in the 1100s yeah they left in hundreds right and yeah colin farrell's character is just not buying into it at all
0: yeah his facial expressions are so good
1: oh yeah still pouting like a child and uh yeah and then it immediately not immediately but it kind of goes right to the another one of those i want to keep saying iconic but it's more of just (laughs) like memorable scenes like for us and for anybody that's seen it but yeah and it's a you know it's a it's a i I say not a backdrop but uh a set piece that is referenced quite a bit in the film and used later on, but they get to this tower Mm -hmm. where everybody wants to go in this tower. Mm -hmm. Apparently if you're in Bruges, you go to the tower and you go to the top of the tower and see Bruges from high up. And the guy up a must see, it's a must see. Yeah. And he's like, they get to the tower and Ray's assumption is that, or Ken's assumption is that they're going to both go up to the top of the tower. So he asks Ray, like you coming up and, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, What's up there? The view of down here. I can see that from down here.
0: Ray, you're about the worst tourist in the whole world.
1: Yeah, and then comes another line that we would have to heavily edit in order to say, but... Yeah. But yeah, Ken, I grew up in Dublin. I love Dublin. If I grew up on a farm, Bruges might impress me, but I didn't, so it doesn't. (sighs) So he's stuck down on the ground floor while Ken goes ahead and gets in the tower, and... Yeah, when we I rewatched this the other night, and when I was rewatching, I totally forgot about the ticket seller at the bottom of the tower. And he's they do this so great. I think this is so great what he does with characters here. Like, there's not like one-off characters. He like brings them back in for different parts of the film. Mm -hmm. But the the ticket seller is seen here, and just like clearly an example of somebody who lets a tiny bit of power go to their head. Yeah, he's just the ticket seller at the bottom of this really old tower, and. Ray or Ken goes to pay for his ticket to get to the top of the tower. And he's just pulling out all of his coins and counting them out in front of the guy and trying to get rid of my coins. And he's just like counting them out. And he's like, I think it's like 10 cents short or something like that. Yep. And he's like, would you take four ninety? entry is five euro. (laughs) It's like, come on, man, it's only 10 cents. But the guy is clearly not budging on 10 cents there.
0: (laughs) Are you happy in your work?
1: Very happy, sir.
0: So then once he gets up to the top of the tower, you know, he's looking around. He sees he's taken in the view. You can see it on his face like he's loving it. You know, he's he he really enjoys being there. And it really is kind of the beginning of, you know, we kind of see and the themes get more heavy throughout the movie of like, you know, this is kind of a all the all the thematic stuff around like heaven, hell, purgatory. You know, this is it's essentially like it's this is like heaven for Ken. And it's hell or purgatory at best for Ray, you know, and it's like, obviously, you know, we don't know this yet, but there will be a lot of this. This is going to be like the the last place these some of these people will see. And then, of course, another there's a lot of foreshadowing, like even the coins, the coins come back later in the movie. And then, you know, when Ken finds Ray down at the bottom. He, you know, holds his, it does like the little finger gun and like, like he's shooting him. Mm-hmm. Not that at that point he has any plans to, but like he, that's another bit of foreshadowing. Like that's going to be something that comes back. So, yeah, and then back to Ray down on the, the ground level, we get the next bit of this, you know, as you said, a memorable scene where the group of plus size Americans come <sighs> and ask him about. If he's been up to the top of the tower,
1: (laughs) I feel like in every like British film or Irish film, whatever, there's like some reference to like Americans who are just you know incompetent or whatever. Yeah, or 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 obese, whatever.
0: Right. Yeah, and and there's definitely there's more than just that as far as in reference to Americans in this movie. Yeah, Yeah, this one it's it's focusing on their their size. Yeah, in the top of the tower. Oh yeah, yeah, it's rubbish. (laughs) Says it's a must see.
1: Well, you're you, you go not going up
0: there anyway what do you mean look i'm not being funny it's a lot of windy stairs and that what
1: are what trying you trying to say?
0: say exactly what i'm trying to say <laughs> he says something that's not very nice and then the guy start tries to him around <laughs> <laughs>
1: come on leave it fatty <laughs> i do love how he's like he's not even ray's not even running He's no. just kind of like back tracing, you know, like backtracking a little bit, and the guy right. like can't even keep up with him, and eventually gets winded. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're just the <laughs> rudest man.
0: Yeah, and then Ken comes back down, and I love the. This is like, it's one of the few like gifts that you can find from this movie. If you're trying to like, you know, use gifts and like texting or whatever, which I do a lot, is the is the shrug that Ray gives Ken when he comes back down. It's like, what's that about? He just pretends like he doesn't know. And uh, and then Ken has the same idea, and he's trying to be nice. But oh, I I wouldn't go up there. It's really narrow.
1: (laughs) Screw you. (laughs) Americans, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And then, of course, that is another thing that also comes back later in the movie. We find out the guy did actually have a heart attack, either in the the stairway or maybe he made it to the top. I don't remember for sure. But so it turns out he should have listened. Right, go up there,
1: man. Man, if he had a heart attack up there, I wonder how they got him down. Oof,
0: I don't even want to think about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as a paramedic, I'm sure you're like those windy stairs and somebody having an accident at the top. Like, (sighs) yeah, we're just kind of gonna get a crane and bring you out. But
0: it would be a nightmare. Yeah, nightmare.
1: Oh, but then after this, Ray gets what he wants after he's done some sightseeing and gets to go get a beer, which is pretty much all he wants to do anyway. So. Uh.
0: The first of many trips to the pub
1: in this movie. Let's go out, out where to the pub. <laughs>
0: one gay beer for me, or for one gay beer for my gay friend, and one normal beer for me because I am normal. This is the life.
1: <laughs> I love that delivery of the line. This is the life. This I mean, is the life. Is the life. Colin Farrell could have made a good Hobbit.
0: Yeah, right. He's yeah. It, it almost it's he's it's almost like he's playing into like the leprechaun ness. Right. Irish accent in that in that line. And I love this little dialogue between, and he's like, So, okay, here's what I say. We we waited out here another day, two days max. And then we call and we say, Harry, thank you for the trip to Bruges. It's been very nice. All the old buildings and that.
1: <laughs> See, this, this movie introduced me to like a couple of things that I guess like Irish or British people say a lot. But one of them is following up sentences with, Isn't it? You know, <laughs> Americans, isn't it? You know, and I was like, oh man, why don't we talk like that? That's, I don't know, <laughs> to me that's just like quirky and funny and, right. and then when he says things like all the old buildings and that, yeah, you know, just adding and that to things at the end. I was like, we, wow, we Americans have a very boring way of speaking.
0: I know. What happened?
1: I don't know. I guess we like tried to get freedom or something.
0: Yeah. I suppose that was the price
1: we had to pay. We could have had great accents, but whatever. Ken tries to convince him that there's a different reason that they're there other than just, like, hiding out after a botched job, but maybe that they're actually here in Bruges on a job.
0: On a job? Here in Bruges? Here in Bruges? On a job?
1: Yes. I mean, when you think about it, Ray, it is a bit over-elaborate, isn't it?
0: Hmm. It is a bit over-elaborate.
1: It is a bit over-elaborate.
0: Oh. Only we haven't got any guns. Eric can get guns anywhere
1: which we can see is absolutely the truth cuz he's yeah. got a he's got a guy in Bruges in Belgium.
0: And Ken was right. They are there on the job. They just Technically. No, It is true. Yeah. I'm
1: not sure what kind of job, but yeah. But then obviously Ken convinces Ray to stick it out in the room. Yeah. But Ray is still Ray, which is a little immature, obviously as we've seen, and he does <laughs> he is not cool with this idea of being cooped up inside still young so
0: he's not gonna ring tonight he sounds like such a <laughs> child <laughs> he's he's like being a baby like, let's go out go out where the pub and i like, forgot like, how
1: he convinced him to go out and he's like let's let's go let's go sightseeing or something like that
0: yeah he, he really thinks hard about it for like he takes several seconds and he's like you can really see the wheels turning and he's like you know, I bet all those old medieval buildings look even better at night, all lit up. And then Ken just closes the book like, all right, you got
1: me. Let's go. <laughs> Speaking his language. Yeah. So he's got his beer from the pub or or whatever. He's walking around with a beer from somewhere. Yeah. And it, Ray spots something that he, that I guess would be hard for anybody to avoid if they see it happening. <laughs> I mean, if I saw a movie being filmed, I would immediately stop and see what's going on. Oh, yeah. But they're filming a particular kind of film. Yeah. I was like, what, wait, what are they doing over there? They're filming midgets, <laughs> which is a very intriguing. I mean, I suppose sure. as somebody who's never seen that take place, I would be very interested to see what they're doing as well. Yeah. And yeah. So he books it over to this film set, and there we are introduced to another character, which this in particular actress, I remember seeing her in the fourth Harry Potter film, where she played one of the, I think this was only. and it wasn't the only film that she was in for Harry Potter, but she was from a different school.
0: Right. And they were they French, the girls?
1: I think they're from French, the from cool. France, yeah. So for the from the wizarding school in France, and, yeah, so I remember seeing her name, like, in the credits, and then but when this movie came out and we were going to watch, I was like, oh, she's in this. And I just had no idea. I thought she was young from being, in like, in a Harry Potter film. Uh. But, yeah, and this is obviously a very a much more mature role for her to be in because her character's job is selling drugs to people on film sets. Yeah. So, very different for her, but immediately Ray is intrigued by <laughs> by seeing her on the set and hops onto the film set to meet her.
0: I had not seen the Harry Potter movies at that point. So, this was the first thing I saw her in. And so when I saw the Harry Potter movies for the first time when that movie came up, I was like, "Oh, hey, it's the girl from In Bruges." So it was for me it was the opposite.
1: Yeah, which I guess is kinda a little bit better way to be introduced to her because now you're like, Oh yeah, she can probably handle going down a notch and like a little less language, but Yeah. <laughs> going up you're like, Oh man, she oh, okay, yeah, she's not too young for this, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love how Ray introduces himself to her. Like he just acts like he's one of like the crew, just getting some coffee in the in the craft services tent and then the first right. question for her is what are you filming the midgets for? Which he's still like stuck on that, this idea of filming midgets. Like midgets is just so interesting to him.
0: Yeah. He goes on this whole thing about how a lot of midgets tend to kill themselves. And he goes on to mention like two or three different people. One of whom at least I think was in like a true, like true story. Like they did actually commit suicide. Sadly, Mm -hmm. Uh, the one from the time bandits he he keeps mentioning. Yep. And then can't can't think of his name. Yeah. She says, you know, he, he prefers to be called a dwarf. It's like, you see what it, see what my point? Everybody's calling you midget. When you prefer to be called dwarf, of course yeah. you're going to put your head off.
1: And he's going through his list, and it's... Who else? Uh, it's not the R2-D2 man. He's still going. Yeah. Which he's not, actually. That was Kenny Baker. Yeah. Originally played R2-D2, but he passed uh, in 2016, I think. But he's obviously... He's left the company of Ray at this point. So obviously, okay, so now we got this character. He's got Chloe, who Ray is thoroughly intrigued with, wants to take her out, even offers to take her out on a date. And she simply just drops her business card for him. So how cool. Very cool. So Ken's on his way back to the hotel and now we're introduced back into this character that keeps coming up through the stories, this hotel manager. I think it's Marie. Is it Marie? Yeah. Yeah. Marie. And, and while they've been out, what happened, what they didn't want to happen ended up happening. Harry called. Harry right. their boss, the guy yeah. who hires they're them for their hit jobs.
0: They're supposed to be just laying low, staying in the hotel room, waiting for him to call.
1: Right. Not visiting film sets with a bunch of midgets on them and Right. Going to the pub or sightseeing at all, even really. But obviously if Harry was there, he would have gone sightseeing, so
0: Yeah, it was supposed he, to be part of the point. Part of the reason right. why they're going there is for the sightseeing.
1: But. Yeah, it's a fairy tale town. Yep. But yeah, so Marie tells him that she's got a message from their boss, or at least or tries to stop him and tell him that he's got a message. <laughs>
0: Uh, Mr. Blakely? Yes? Yes. No, No. Mr. Cranham? Cranham. No. No. Yes? Yes. Blakely? Yes? (laughs) Mr. Blakely? Yes? No, Mr. Cranham. No, yes. Mr. Blakely? Yes? There was one time where I was watching this movie, and I rewound that part, like, several times. It was just, (laughs) it was making me laugh so hard, the way he does that, and then her face... After, you know, after all that she's just like you got a message and the message the voiceover for the message by Ray Fiennes as Harry is just so perfect mm-hmm. you can't even bother trying to trying to like repeat it mm-hmm. but number one why aren't you in what I told you to be in number two why doesn't this hotel have a voicemail so I don't have to leave a message with the receptionist <laughs> Number three, you better be hit tomorrow when I tell you to be hit or there'll be hell to pay. I'm telling you, Harry. Harry, <laughs> oh, yeah. The <laughs> sign off of Harry's it's so
1: quick. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's exactly like how the character would deliver it, but Ray Fiennes, you you right delivers it so perfectly. Yeah, and I and I love, I love how the whole how Marie just like wrote it down word for word.
0: Yeah, right. You know,
1: and so they're reading it as if it was it was him actually saying it. Yeah, and so obviously now. Now Ken's got the full weight of that on his mind, definitely he's not going to go out again like like they had said they already weren't going to so he's he's resolute on that, but Ray is really pumped now because he's got a date and he wants to come back and share that with Ken but by the time he gets back to the hotel room, Ken's already either halfway asleep or wanting to be asleep, and Ray's just being again loud immature crass
0: he must have he must have hit the pub before he oh, came. For sure he's like Ken you'll never guess what and then he's like oh except I forgot to take the contact lenses out so then he turns the bathroom light on and Ken's just getting so annoyed but then he talks about however much he had to drink like six points and seven bottles seven bottles and guess what
1: he's so proud of himself Ken you'll never guess what I got
0: got a date happy for you happy for you now will you turn the light (laughs) off please
1: got a date with a girl
0: a girl yeah the Belgian film business.
1: The Belgian film really? business. Yeah. I, I forgot even how the scene even actually changes, but the next morning they're at breakfast and Ken Ray comes down, just still excited from his night before, getting excited for his date. Yeah. And Ken shares the note with him from Ray. And he's reading through the message, you know, sitting there at the breakfast table. And again, this is more such great from Colin Farrell his facial expressions while he's reading the note from Harry or the message from Harry is just so, so well comedically played. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he pretty much like he voices like the, the reaction from like the audience. as if we were reading that, cause he goes, he's reading through the note and he finally gets done. He's like, geez, he swears a lot, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which is ironic because all of them swear a lot, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His, his, that line reading is, is great. But so then they have the, you know, they kind of come to a compromise that, you know, Ray wants to go on his date, which he did already say. He's like, well, really, only one of us needs to be in the room for Harry to, to call. And he's got a date. So then Ken's proposition is that in the morning and in the afternoon, we're going to do what I want to do. And, of course, they... Talk about striking a balance between culture and fun. Uh,
1: Somehow, I believe the scale is going to tip a bit more towards culture than fun. Yeah. But, so he agrees. He wants his date so bad that he decides to go out with Ken on his little sightseeing tourist attractions and whatnot, which there are plenty of in Bruges, apparently. I've never been. Really want to go now. But... Castles and cathedrals, churches, old buildings, and that. And so they're in this basilica, which apparently is well known or famous for the fact of having a file of Jesus Christ blood in it, Jesus. dried blood that occasionally liquefies during moments of great stress. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the there's the time when before he says all that, you know, Colin Farrell is like sitting off on his own. In one of these chairs and he's just like kicking the chair in front of him is like being super loud. And then Ken's like, Get over here And as he walks over, he's like dragging his feet. He's again he's acting like such a child. And he's like, Did we or did we not agree that if you went out on your date that we were gonna do what I wanted to do? And he's like, We are doing what you wanted to do, and I would do them without you, you know, <laughs> throwing a moody like a five year old who's dropped all the sweets. I,
1: I didn't, didn't agree to that. that.
0: I love that word, like throwing a moody.
1: That's another one. I got to use that more often.
0: Yeah. And then there's like, I'm going to go up to to touch the the blood or whatever. It's like, are you coming? Do I have to?
1: Do you have to? (laughs) Of course you don't have to. It's Jesus Christ, but but of course you don't have to. Of course you don't have to.
0: So he doesn't. you, You can tell, like... You know pretty soon we'll learn exactly what the backstory is but he's very uncomfortable being in a church mm-hmm. you'll soon find out why Kind of like Dominic Cobb being on a train
1: well, that's fair that's fair yeah I honestly, I didn't even pick up on that I thought he was just being moody the whole time but there is a discomfort of being in there because as soon as as soon as Ken says like of course you don't have to he gets on right out he's got his permission to go and so he just leaves the church and not quietly either. As as we've seen, he's whether he's kicking the chair, scuffing his feet on the floor, or closing the door of the church, like he's not quiet about it. Right. So he he's immediately outside, sitting on this bench with this odd fellow and his dog. You remember in I Love You Man, where Sydney and Peter are walking on the boardwalk and they Sydney points out like, Look at this. Look at this guy with his dog. I call these Bowser's and it's like when somebody looks exactly like their dog. Yeah. Or they, like, have groomed their dog to look exactly like them. That's what I thought of when I saw this dog sitting on the bench with this guy. <laughs> like, you just look at the guy's face, and you look at the way the dog is looking at Ray. You're just like, yeah, this is... Sydney. would have seen this and said, this is a Bowser <laughs> right there. They do look exactly alike.
0: I didn't even notice what the guy looked like. I just noticed the dog. But, yeah, that's funny. So as Ray is looking around, and he's just kind of people-watching, and then he sees, you know, some kids, like, skipping around in that courtyard... So then they we flash back to Ray being at a confessional booth with I'm sure I'm going to butcher the first name K- Kieran Hines.
1: I think it's Kieran, yeah.
0: Hey, I know some of those Irish names are pronounced like nothing like what they look like, but a pretty pretty big cameo for uh, you know for a movie like this. But he's uh, the priest, and you know Ray is confessing to a murder, and it turns out it's the priest's murder. And of course, he gives him the line, Harry Waters says hello, and shoots him, and then it leads to seeing that after he walks away a little bit, he shoots him a few more times the back, and it's revealed that as a result of his killing of this priest, you know, a young boy who was in the church as well, ended up being collateral damage and getting shot. Which leads to a lot of the emotional part of kind of the rest of the movie, really, for Ray's character. It's a you know, a brutal but effective flashback scene.
1: It was, yeah. I mean, it's probably there's. I mean, this movie is full of different kinds of violence, because these are hitmen and they have no qualms with it at all. But this in particular, this is one that just really hits you in such a way because the camera doesn't really shy away from what happens to the little boy in this one. Mm-hmm. And no matter how old you are, you you the thing of the fact that a child getting shot, this is it's really hard to Take as a viewer, and then so you kind of feel a little bit of the weight of it with Ray, too. Why it's just so affecting, it would be for anybody, yeah. But yeah, just watching this one again, you just pay attention to like the priest's reaction after he kneels down in his shot, and he just he goes, You know, the little boy, and then falls over, and you're like, What? And then Ray's even confused and then looks, and there's a little boy kneeling there in the chapel or whatever, wherever, and he's praying, and that's when he got shot, and then you see like as he falls over, you see the note in his hand and it's just like increases the sadness even more. And the little boy was just praying there, like confessing, you know, and he's trying to, to repent. He's there being repentant in this little chapel and the little things he's got written on his note are like repenting for being moody, repenting for being bad at math, repenting for being sad. Yeah. And just like, man, this, this little boy, this probably was the sweetest little boy. And he immediately recognizes that, but we see that, ken so i don't know like what their relationship was prior to this if ken was like a mentor to him at this point as a as a hitman and this was his first job on his own but ken was kind of like in the background just like there in for the getaway or like mm-hmm. just to make sure the job got done but just from like an above view we see that like ken's just kind of like standing over the priest and the little boy and ken or ray is standing over him and ken just like pulls him out so that he doesn't get caught obviously because gunshots have gone off but yeah, he's 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 the one that got him to Bruges, obviously right after. Right.
0: Yeah, my my guess is he's kind of a, uh, you know, looking after him because it is his first job. We know that for sure. He says that later, but yeah, he's kind of probably trying to show him the ropes and kind of look after him for his first job, make sure he can do it, and obviously it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. So when we when he comes out of the you know the flashback, then we get this scene where they're at this art museum. And they're looking at a bunch of these different paintings that kind of depict like heaven hell purgatory these things which starts you know a dialogue between them about you know a little bit about like what they believe in and as far as that goes is ray now that he's been in bruges for a day you know some of the initial feelings he was having about being there in the town you know kind of started to wear off a little bit he's really starting to kind of come to terms with you know what what happened and the fact that you know a little boy is is dead because of him, and that that's never going to go away, and he's starting to think about just his what that means for him, as far as like you know, he's not necessarily sure what he believes as far as heaven and hell and purgatory. You know, purgatory like you weren't you weren't really bad, but you weren't all that great either. And so you know, he's asking Ken what he believes, and he's just really starts to get really upset about what happened, and this is one of those i think if i'm thinking of the right right time that he like really kind of has a like a a breakdown mm-hmm. when they're on the bench here i know it happens again in the the park scene later on but like it was just like a really another really great performance by Colin Farrell
1: it it had to be one of the things that really truly won him that golden globe yeah over everybody else like it was <clears throat> in a in a film that's filled with so much comedic dialogue and comedic scenes in there this is a good a good turn that really just kind of shows you his range Mm -hmm. you know he gets he gets there's a bit of jokes he gets upset he gets annoyed and then he breaks down and cries and it's just a it's a well it's a good exposure for colin farrell's range of acting right there yeah and within that conversation there's a reference to if ken has killed anybody good or something and in his time of being a hitman or anything if he's and so he references a story where somebody came at him with a bottle just in self-defense, but he also had to defend himself because he came at him with a bottle. That's a deadly weapon. So, right. you know, what are you going to do? And he shot him down, and that's the only other time. That's the only time he can think of where he's ever killed anybody that could have been good or doing something good. So, Yeah, so, so. The, the the hint there is that while they are hitman, is that everybody that
0: they've killed have, have deserved it for whatever reason. You know, I right. always... I don't I don't know that it's ever specifically stated but you know I was assumed that the priest that Ray killed in his job was probably doing inappropriate things you know with with kids but maybe that's just you know might not be you know whatever I'm I might just be totally making that up in my mind but
1: it's pretty easy I, to assume
0: yeah obviously there's a lot of history with that unfortunately yeah. And of course, then the, you know, this is like the bottle thing is another bit of like, this comes back a little bit later on.
1: Which there are, I mean, there's several different parts of this that just keep coming back later on. Yeah. Even if it comes back once, like, I think think that's one of the great things about the story and the screenplay as it plays out is something that's mentioned just like as a one-off in a conversation ends up being an actual significant part of the film later on. So after this, Ray finally gets what he wants And he's on his date or he's going on his date with Chloe and they're at this restaurant and trying to get to know each other. He makes a horrible joke about Belgium and chocolates and children and thinks he's offended her. But she was just messing with him the whole time. And she gets up to go to the bathroom and she blows smoke in the smoking section, which, you know, if you're in the smoking section, you should probably expect smoke being blown in your face. Right. But she accidentally, I, I feel like accidentally blows smoke in somebody's face. Yeah. And that man takes an issue with it.
0: Yeah. A man who sounds like he's an American. Very much. Which doesn't doesn't go over well with Ray. Right. And it's like and he's like he says it's you know, it's unbelievable. And I love again just the, the the facial acting for Colin Farrell in this scene where he's like he he wants to engage the guy, but he also kinda knows he should just leave it alone, but then finally he's like What's unbelievable? You talking to me? He's like, he pauses, even though he knows he should just hit the guy, and says, again, yes, I am talking to you. What's unbelievable? I'll tell you what's unbelievable. It's your girlfriend, or whatever, her blowing the smoke in myself and my girlfriend's face. This is the smoking section. I don't care. It just goes into this whole thing, and like, we shouldn't have to die just because of your arrogance. Oh, isn't that what the Vietnamese used to say? What? The Vietnamese? What are you what are you talking about? Doesn't make any sense. It, yes it does. The Vietnamese. It's like it he's obviously again he thinks because he's American that he's somehow like responsible for America's role in the Vietnam War and obviously a lot of Vietnamese people did die because of America's involvement in that war or whatever, but I just love the way he's like, Yes it does. The Vietnamese like <laughs> saying it again in, in a more high pitched voice is going to make it make sense to the guy so then he obviously gets upset and just punches him says that's for John Lennon you Yankee and then the girl the, the girlfriend tries to come at him with a bottle so a bottle don't bother and he, he punches her too and then oh, of course, right on top he hit- of Chloe comes back from the bathroom at that point
1: yeah I would never hit a woman other than self defense <laughs> she came at me with a bottle. Came at me with a bottle. The Vandaries Ken, <laughs> Ken was right. If someone comes at you with a bottle, it's just self-defense. Yep. It's, it's a, a deadly d- weapon. Right. I mean, I, I have no idea if that woman would have had any effectiveness with that bottle, but she tried. So right. you gotta defend yourself. Yep. And he drops her hard. Yeah. <laughs> She's immediately out, or both of them are, so Tell me how Hussein- sane That's for John Lennon, you yank. A bottle. Now don't bother. But I love, yeah, I love how, I guess it does catch up to him later, but they just walk out of the restaurant in that scene, and he defends himself to Chloe, and she assures him that they're good, they're fine. So then it goes right back to Ken, who, after making his agreement with Ray, he's on his own in the hotel room just waiting for Harry's call. Yeah. And he's just watching this old black and white film, which I had no idea what it was. I had to look this up, but apparently, it's a film called *Touch of Evil* by Orson Welles. Which honestly, I, I'm probably—I don't know if I'm one of like the few in this world, but I don't think I've ever seen a movie by Orson Welles. Mm. I know who Orson Welles is uh-huh. his most famous one. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. There you go. And there's—I know there's references to something Rosebud in there, right? But I've—I've I've never seen Citizen Kane in my life.
0: You should watch The Third Man.
1: The Third Man. Or Orson Welles.
0: Joseph Cotton. Okay. I, I have not but, seen Citizen Kane, but I, Third Man is very good.
1: Okay. Third Man coming up. It's yeah. the queue.
0: I don't know if he directed it or if he just is one of the actors in it, but yeah, definitely worth checking out. And I'm sure Citizen Kane would be too, but... Yeah. I think but, I actually tried to watch Citizen Kane and fell asleep once.
1: See, that's what I'm afraid of. Like, I, I don't want to make assumptions about it, but... I do know that it is a very lengthy film, and that it uh, has been described as a bit self-indulgent. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll give it a try someday when I'm not bored and able to stay awake for it all. So, regardless, it's a film by Orson Welles called *Touch of Evil*, and in the film, there are apparently like a lot of illusions or scenes that depict somewhat the painting *The Last Judgment*, which is seen in the art museum. When Kevin and Ray are, or not Kevin, Ken and Ray are discussing Purgatory and and Heaven and Hell and stuff. So there's, I I guess I just like sometimes when they do this, like if there's something the character's watching and it's actually somewhat relevant to the actual plot of the movie that they're in, you know? So I mean, he chose Touch of Evil for a reason. It wasn't just like, oh, just have him watching a black and white random film. Yeah. So it further alludes to this idea that some one of the you know the themes or something that we're playing with here in this movie is you know punishment or purgatory, heaven and hell, and like all this stuff about the choices that you make and how it affects the afterlife or whatever somebody's view is of that. But then Ken is in the hotel for a reason. Obviously, he's alone because Ray convinced him that only one of us has to be in the hotel room when Harry calls, and Harry does call.
0: Harry finally calls, and he he asks if if Ray is there, and Ken lies, and says Ray is. He's in the bathroom, and I love how his question is, is he doing a wee or a poo? (laughs) (laughs) Wants to know how long he's going to be in there. And one thing, and this this is something that I read, too, that I had never noticed before, but this entire scene of the phone call is, like, it's at least shot to look like it's all one continuous take which then you know once you know that it's like oh you see it like oh yeah okay but and so then he's you know harry wants to have him send ray out on an errand or something so ken does this whole thing where he's like having a fake conversation with ray who's not there and does like the footsteps and the door closing and all that stuff and so then he asks you know harry asks like how's how's it going in bruges how does he like it and he's like, you know, that's well, I, you know, I, I enjoy it, but I, I don't really think it's, it's not really his cup of tea. You're Like, what, what do you mean? Well, I just, I think it's, it's just not really his thing. How can Bruges not be somebody's thing? How can the swans and the medieval buildings and all the blah blah blah? How can that not be somebody's thing?
1: Yeah, it's very clear that like Harry's not calling to talk to Ray. He's very interested in him, and like you said, like he's, he wants him to be there to, to enjoy himself, but. Immediately there's a realization that Ken has about there's a reason that he's there, and you know Harry just keeps asking if he's enjoying it or not. He's very concerned, like you said about does, does he like it at all? And then Ken kind of changes his demeanor and you know, pacifies him by letting him know that you know, he you know, he did actually call it like more of like a fairy tale place and that there were some things that he did really like about it or enjoy about it. So Harry is pacified. And I don't know what I can't honestly recall from watching it last night. Like what Harry says that makes Ken realize that, like, oh, this is actually he. The reason he sent him here is because this is kind of like a final rest for our last stop for for Ray.
0: He says something like, "Well, I'm I'm just I'm glad I was able to do something for the boy.
1: Hmm. Glad
0: I was able to do something nice for the boy before, you know, before he went or something." I mean, he says that exact line later, but. It's something similar. And yeah, you can just see the change in Ken's face when he realizes, you know, what they are on a job here in Bruges.
1: Well, Ken is.
0: not, Yeah, not the kind that he would have imagined. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, another foreshadowing line where Harry says, I'd like to see Bruges again before I die, which he does.
1: Oh, Um, yeah. And the line that, that Ray used to pacify Harry, or that Ken said that Ray said was... I know I'm awake but I feel like I'm in a dream when right. referencing Bruges itself and he's like, Oh yeah. Like a fairy tale. Yeah. Like, uh yeah. Give me a call when he's dead.
0: That's it. And this hangs up. Yeah. This is like I, I don't remember exactly what point in the movie it is, but it's like it's such a great turn in the movie of like realizing why they're in Bruges specifically and, and what's coming now. This obviously is just going to change the entire rest of the movie. So then we we go back to Ray and Chloe, who are are getting on very nicely at her place. And all of a sudden, Ray feels a gun to the back of his head. And it turns out that this is kind of a thing that Chloe and her ex-boyfriend do. They bring tourists back and rob them and whatnot. But she had tried to call him off, but he came anyway. He tries to.
1: I forgot that that she tried to call him off. Yeah, Did she say that?
0: Yeah, she's like, I told him not to come tonight. And she's like, why did you come tonight? And then he's like, I can't see. Of course you can't see. I just shot a blank in your eye.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ray's clearly capable with a gun and defending himself, as we've seen, obviously, in the restaurant. So, yeah, he, he immediately steals the gun from Eric. And Eric comes at him with a knife. And then, yeah, shoots him with a gun that he's been told is full of blanks right in the eye because, I mean... I think it's something that people assume with blanks is that they're just like air. I mean, there's still something coming out of the gun a little bit. Right. Not as much of a projectile, but I mean, close up, it can can still hurt you. Yep. Yeah. So right in the eye, can't see. And, and so, you know, Eric's on the floor writhing in pain and he's begging Chloe to take him to the hospital, which she does. But immediately, like, Ray is all like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you would never go for somebody like me. I knew someone like you. I Just knew someone like you would never like someone like me. Oh, oh God. I just knew. What do you mean someone like
0: me? You know, someone nice. Yeah, it reminded me of Banshees of Inisherin, which you know, if you don't know, is the same writer and director with the same two leads and Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson that just came out a couple of years ago. But that's the whole the whole thing about like you used to be nice. That just reminded me of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a great catch by you. Like. I wouldn't have even caught that unless you had said something but yeah uh it makes me want to watch banshees again yeah i know a lot of people didn't really appreciate that as much as i thought that people would but uh-huh. that line in the pub during banshees when he's talking about i'm nice you know and he's talking about his sister and his parents like they were nice you used to be nice yeah and how that's important you know and so it's obviously yeah. a big deal to ray here right someone nice chloe's nice but then the night just gets a little weird from here.
0: It sure does. The, we go to Ken back in the pub, kind of drowning his sorrows after that tough phone call he had. He has his first interaction with Jimmy, the dwarf, from the movie. And are you, you're from the States? Yeah, but don't hold him against me. So I'll try not to. Just try not to say anything too loud or crass.
1: Which is kind of, it's kind of funny in a film where they're constantly loud and, and crass. Right. All the time, but that's it's the funny. assumption about Americans is that they're just they're just always loud and crass.
0: They're allowed to because they're in Europe. But if
1: Americans come
0: to Europe and they're loud and crass, then not the, cool. It's annoying. Yeah. And then Ray shows up, and he is kind of tweaking.
1: He's a little wound up.
0: Yeah. He got found, four
1: grams on me and one gram in me. Oh yeah, yeah because yeah.
0: He found a, all the Chloe's stash, or at least part of it. So, and then we get the line earlier that I referenced when he goes, he finally goes to talk to Jimmy and his accompaniment for the evening. He's like, why didn't you wave hello to me today when I waved hello to you today? He's like, sorry, I was on a lot of horse tranquilizers. And I wasn't really waving hello to anyone, except maybe a horse.
1: I love how like Jimmy's like saying that line, like, this is hilarious. I'm going to throw this horse line in there. <laughs> and yeah. Ray's just like, what?
0: <laughs> You're <are> weird. <laughs> Would you like some cocaine? We've also got some acid and some ecstasy.
1: And then, yeah, they, it, this is like the weirdest scene in the film.
0: Yeah, I agree. When
1: they're in the hotel room with with Jimmy and his two accompaniments and, yeah. and Ray and Ken are in there, and they're just having like the weirdest, I don't say like drugged out conversations, but conversations you wouldn't normally have. Right. You yeah. know, about yeah. wars between races and being a dwarf and – what else they talk about they talk about and then you, we get a little bit like of a window of Ken's life before this
0: yeah yeah his his wife was was black and she was killed by a white man and he Jimmy asked like well, did they get the guy who did it and then Colin Farrell kind of like he says to the priest Harry Waters says hello he says Harry Waters got him so we kind of get an idea of why Ken has the relationship that he does with Harry their history goes back a long time. Cause he says it was like 1976. Right. Would have been like almost 30 years. Yeah. He's indebted to them. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a long time. They go, go that far back.
1: Which have you seen the deleted scene about that?
0: Uh, I don't know if I saw it or if I've just read about it.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's on, it's on YouTube. I assume anybody can see it, but yeah, uh, it is pretty interesting. Like it's a pretty brutal scene. I can understand why they didn't put it in there. There's no need for the flashback, but because uh-huh. if you're just telling it in story form, that's fine, especially for a dialogue heavy movie like this. But it is it is very interesting, especially like the actors they choose for the younger versions of Ray and Ken. Very very well done as with all the casting in the film. But it uh yeah, it just depicts what happened and how Harry sticks up for Ken and goes and takes care of this guy for him who killed his wife. Without any hesitation too. So I mean they must have been friends prior to or something like that, but like Harry immediately goes to Ken and asks him what happened. And as soon as he tells him, he immediately, like, walks out of that room, finds the guy, and takes care of it. So, but yeah, yeah. it didn't exactly fit in the whole tone of the film. But yeah, for somebody who's a fan of Imprudent, or if you like the film at all, it's a it's just kind of like a little fun side thing, mm-hmm. almost like a little short film. But yeah, Harry Waters got him, and then <laughs> Ken says something about like who they're in the room with. So, right to two weird prostitutes and a dwarf a on. I'm, yeah I'm getting out of here yeah and Ray goes with him but I think like I think Jimmy like tries to like keep the drugs or something yeah slaps Jimmy's hand away and then like grabs him and like gets into like some like karate move and Jimmy's like you don't know karate <laughs> and he just like chops him right in the neck
0: ah short horse <laughs> When that's short horse is another callback is when he's having his first conversation with Chloe on the movie set. He talks about like people, people calling you names like short horse. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why, why dwarfs might tend to be suicidal, but
1: I get it. Yeah. Who'd who'd want to be called that? But then the next morning, Ray's asleep. Ken gets out early because Ray Ken knows now that he's got a job to do. He doesn't want to upset (laughs) Harry at all. Because, like I said, we've said he's indebted to him for something. And so he heads out while Ray's asleep to go see a fella named Yuri.
0: Oh, Yuri. (laughs) Such a great little side character.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So he's, this is uh, the ammunition and gun supply that Ken or that Harry's hookup is in Belgium. And uh, he's got a whole plethora of guns for Ken to choose from. And so. They're just having just like this silly weird conversation. This Yuri guy is just kind of this easygoing dude who's got a bunch of guns, and yeah, he's like he he asks. I love how he asks him like, "You are going to do it, right, Mr. Waters?" Would be very upset if you didn't do it. Of course, of course I'm going to do it. You know, there's a lot of great places to hide out and some park.
0: The Kanongan Kenong- Ast- Astrid Park. Yeah, I had to look it up.
1: A lot of these alcoves. Uh, in the park you use this word alcoves alcoves yeah sure alcoves you sure this is the right word alcoves
0: like yeah they're kind of like nooks and crannies yes nooks and crannies yes (laughs) better than alcoves (laughs) he's just so hung up on the the alcoves the nooks and crannies
1: he just reminds me of one of those guys that you'd get like caught up in a conversation with and just like dude just stop talking right <laughs> yeah but I love how excited he gets nooks and crannies yes <laughs> yes nooks and crannies yes
0: Perhaps this would be more accurate nooks and crannies rather than alcos.
1: yeah uh. so he's got the he's got the gun now that they didn't have before yep to obviously complete the job that he doesn't want to do. He's obviously bonded with Ray he's got a lot of sympathy towards him based on the conversations they've had and the the amount of remorse that Ray has. Yeah, which I don't even yeah I don't even know if Kent or if Harry's even thinking about it. he probably is but Ray is definitely not okay with this job that got botched. He's not just looking for getting onto the next thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think it matters to Harry whether he's remorseful or not because it's like one of those things like it's not going to change the fact that he he killed a kid, right, accidentally or not. But and of course in the meantime, Colin Farrell or Ray also has a gun now. Because he yes. took the gun that Eric tried to rob him with, with the blanks, but he found some actual live rounds, and he said something the day before where when they were on the bench, he said something to Ken about like about how the boy won't be around and like he Progressed
1: can't. If I'm not around too, or something, yeah,
0: something like that. And, and you know, Ken's like, don't even think like that. But that was kind of the first hint that Ray might be having some some suicidal suicidal thoughts himself. Right to rid him of the guilt he's feeling over what happened, so then we get this next scene where he's he's sitting on the park bench and. Ken... Well, wait,
1: if you rewind a little bit before that, Ken was at the hotel and Marie tells him like your friend went out earlier and was acting very strange for your friend. Right. And gave her a bunch of money, two hundred euros for the baby, and then yeah, it was went off, and so obviously Ken knows kind of a bit of a hint on like where to go look for him, probably yeah. in the park or something.
0: Right, he's kind of sneaking up on him and you get this, the great shot of like he's coming up behind him and you just see Ray from the back and as he holds the gun up to shoot Ray in the back of the head and then all of a sudden Ray puts his own gun up to the side of his head so instead of killing him, he stops him from killing himself, which of course comes back later in the conversation with Harry but right. uh, he's like what are you doing? Nothing. He just yeah. it's the gun, gun back, back. I love the way he says it. Like nothing. She's like, "Oh, you were gonna kill me." He's like, "No, I wasn't." <laughs> he's like, "Can we go somewhere and talk about this?" <laughs> They're like sitting on the playground structure.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, another another great great acting scene for Colin Farrell just in the in the dialogue of this scene and him like you know being so still remorseful about this and Ken trying to talk him down now like he's. He I think he's decided by this point, like I'm not doing the job. Right. You know, no matter what Harry says, like, I can't do this. This yeah. isn't this isn't right. I'm not gonna kill someone good. Yeah. You know, and so they're having this conversation about where Ken convinces him, like, you know, keep living and, and save the next little boy. Right. You know, you made a mistake, it was an accident, like save the next little boy. You could be anything.
0: What am I gonna be? A doctor? You need exams. <laughs> you need exams. I think it's 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 a good like You know, when he says that, save the next little boy, it's like he's you think he's talking about like another like literal like child, but he could also just be talking about Ray himself. Like, you know, yeah, save, save yourself, you know, go and turn your life into something better. Get out of this life and go just be free. And of course, we get like one of my favorite lines in the movie. Great day this turned out to be. We gun gets nicked, I'm suicidal, My mate tries to kill me, and we're still in freaking Bruges!
1: <laughs> but not for long, because Ken puts Ray on a train out of Bruges, and I forget where he's headed to.
0: Yeah, but uh, One thing from that conversation still in the park I wanted to mention, you talked about his... His emotional performance, but one of like the the specific lines he says, you know, Ken says something about like you're a dead man. He's like, I want to be a dead man. Are you missing something? Mm. Like one of my favorite parts of that that performance, just the way he says that. But yeah, yeah. When they're he's on the train, and I don't I don't think they say where he's going because Ken says he doesn't know.
1: Mm. He doesn't,
0: wants to know. You know, he's just getting on a train, going whichever direction, and calls Harry to let him know he did not kill him and we get again one of the great single lines of dialogue in the movie yeah we we finally see harry for the first time after the i love the cut from like he hangs up the phone and then all of a sudden you're on you're on harry's end and like oh this is harry and he starts you know obviously smashing the phone because he's really upset and his wife
1: comes in and harry 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 What? It's an inanimate object. You're an inanimate object. <laughs> <laughs> and man, yeah. Bless Harry's wife for putting up with him. Yeah. Like any other person would just like walk out right then, but she ah, she knows who he is. Yeah. And True. knows that it's a mistake or whatever or he just, you know, was getting emotional in that moment. And he does sincerely apologize to her for saying that, and he apologizes to the kids, you know, for saying it in front of them. But yeah, this is clearly not just a one of his employees like acting up kind of thing. Like he's this is a big deal. What's happening there? Yeah, he's got a great deal of pride in his instructions being carried out exactly, you know, not being deviated from. But yeah, that this is probably okay if you're going to say that anything from In Bruges is iconic. This is probably the one that, like, people have repeated. This line is even known, even if you haven't seen the film, that you're in an inanimate object, uh-huh. you know, and just the way it's delivered. <laughs> so, so great by, by Ray Fiennes. Uh, but, yeah, again, it's one of the many quotable parts of the film, but the the most memorable, I, I would probably say, yeah. for anybody who's seen the film. But, again, like it's not...
0: It's funny because, like... It's such a, like a childish comeback, but people talk like that all the time. Like that's something, something like, well, you're something. So, you know, like people, I yep. know I do. It's just, it's so funny that he, obviously he's just like, he's losing it, but I love then he's talking to his kids and he's like, yeah, I got to go to Bruges. And his wife's like, where's Bruges?
1: It's in Belgium.
0: Why would anybody have to go to Belgium? <laughs> he's like, it's a matter
1: of honor. Um, yep. She clearly <laughs> knows the kind of work he's in. Right. Ken is all right with it, but I would have loved to have seen how many takes they had to do in that, in that scene. That's one of those ones that you'd love just because like, he's, you know, he's silent. He's calm immediately. Like after Ken, hang, Ken hangs up the phone and then just like lets out all of his anger on this phone. And I was just like, how many phones do they have to go through to get that right? You know, how many times of saying that line and back and forth to each other like that? But That would I would love to see if they had any kind of behind the scenes stuff or like footage of that. That would be the one that I'd like. I want to see. Yeah. How many times did that take? Or was it a one take thing? Did Did Ray Fiennes just get it on the first take? That's very possible. I wouldn't doubt it. But Ray doesn't exactly get where he's needing to go at this point. He's not allowed to leave Bruges.
0: Yeah, he's He's left Bruges and he's out in the middle of nowhere.
1: Right. The, The
0: train just stops suddenly, and. He's confused, and one of the, I guess, is it an officer, like a police officer? That I
1: think it's an officer. Yeah.
0: Up to him, and. Are you Irish? Yeah. Yeah. What's your name?
1: Derek, or Earl. <laughs> <laughs> you eat the Canadian? What? What?
0: You hate the Canadian? I I, I hate I, the Canadian. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: You hate the Canadian?
0: Yeah. Then he has him look, and of course, it's the guy from the restaurant, his girlfriend.
1: Yep. Like, who we find out is Canadian. Yes, yeah, right. not American.
0: And once he, he says something as he's getting up, it's like, yeah, Canadians didn't kill John Lennon today,
1: or something like that. Oh, does he say something?
0: I, I thought he said something about that, yeah.
1: I didn't even catch that. So but... then
0: we get to go back to Yuri's, which is just great. Every scene with Yuri is, is awesome. I love it.
1: Right, because... <laughs> I, I don't, I'm guessing it's because Harry couldn't travel with a gun.
0: Probably not. Yeah.
1: So he had to get one in Bruges. Yeah. From Yuri, who he obviously knows beforehand. And yeah. I love you yeah, have when he first gets in there and he sees Eric, the the guy who Chloe's ex boyfriend, who Ray is blinded, sees right. him on the couch with an eye patch, and his first like phrase to him is "Aye, aye, aye, aye." <laughs> <laughs>
0: an Uzi. I'm not from South Central Los Angeles. I'm not going to kill a bunch of kids in a drive-by. I want a normal gun for a normal person.
1: Which it goes back to and a normal beer for me because I'm normal.
0: Right. <laughs> and then, of course, the alcoves come up again. He was like, I knew he wouldn't do it. I could see it in his face. Even as I was telling him about the alcoves. <laughs> I mean, the alcoves? You, you want these dum-dums? And you use, use this wood? dum-dums? Yes, dum I know I shouldn't, but I will. Which that also comes back. Because they say it's like the dum-dums will, like, you know, they basically, like, make somebody's head explode. Right. Exactly what happens when he kills the the dwarf at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. One, and Ray a bit, too. Yeah. Not his head, obviously. But, yeah. Spoiler alert. We're about to get there.
0: Yeah. And... Again... Overused word, but for me, it's iconic. The scene between Harry and Ken at the table yeah. in the courtyard. There's so many, so many great quotes, but obviously the the issue of Ken not only having failed to kill Ray, but also the fact that he stopped him from killing himself. <laughs> like, so did it did, when I called you? Did I say Ken? Can you please? Can you be the boy's psychiatrist? No, I said, can you? I, I want you to blow his head off. He's like, I'm suicidal. You're suicidal. Everybody's suicidal. We don't all just go, go around going on about it, right? He's like, well, so we, we were in
1: the, we were, we were gonna in the, we were in the park. Wait, wait, you were in the park. <laughs> you stopped him from killing himself.
0: Well, this gets worse. Let me get this wrong. Not only did, you kill, not Donald did you fail to kill the boy, but you prevented him from killing himself. We should have solved my problem. We should have solved your problem. Which sounds like would have solved the boy's problem. It wouldn't have solved his problem. The boy had to be let go.
1: And he talks about his principles. Yeah. If I killed a kid, I would blow my head off on the spot. I wouldn't hesitate. On the spot. again, more foreshadowing. Yeah. And then we get a little bit of exchange where Ken tells Harry his real feelings about him, even though he respects him and is indebted to him. He recognizes who he is and what kind of a person he is. Yeah. And uses a particular term we won't use on this show. Right.
0: But, no disrespect, but you're a not very nice word. Yes.
1: And you'll always be.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then he says the thing about his kids. He's like, insult my kids. That's going up board mate.
1: I it. But then, obviously, he, he knows what Harry's got to do, obviously, because he's disrespected Harry's instructions. And so he knows he's there to also kill him. Yep. So let's not do it all here. Yeah. I'm not going to have a shootout in the middle of a thousand Belgians, am I? Well... You might. Yeah, when you it's get to the actual good. shootout.
0: Right. So they go to the tower, and the the, the friendly ticket taker is, or whatever, is still there. And he mentions that it's closed early because an American had a heart attack at the top of the tower the day before. Hmm. So, obviously, as we already alluded to that earlier, they should have taken... Ken and Ray's advice and not try to go up the tower. So then, as you said about the, the the employee letting his little bit of power go to his head, he does not speak very kindly to Harry and keeps pointing in his head, The tower is closed this evening, understand, Englishman? And I love Ken's face. It's just kind of like, raising his eyebrows like, Oh boy, you're in for it now. And Yeah. He certainly was.
1: And, yeah. Uh... Harry takes care of that, and they get their passage to the top of the tower. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they have a nice little scene, nice exchange at the top of the tower where Ken, you know, has his kind of his moment at the top and observing the town and, you know, tells Harry that, like, he puts his gun down and tells him, I'm not going to fight you. So whatever you came here to do, go ahead and do, but I'm I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm done. Yeah, it's
0: like, I, I understand what you have to do, and I respect it totally.
1: And he's like, so am I supposed, not not supposed to kill you now because you've made that nice little speech or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> and so you can tell he's kind of like figuring out in his head, like, all right, what do I what do I got to do now? I guess I can't just not do anything. So he shoots him in the foot or in the leg? I think it's I, the foot.
0: I think in the leg. But yeah, in the I'm leg, sure.
1: yeah. So they are friends, so he's helping Ken down the tower. And Eric yeah. happens to see... Ray and Chloe, because Chloe is, in between all this, Chloe has bailed Ray out of jail. Right. And they're, and they're, you know, together now on a little bit of a, just getting a drink together in the middle of the square. And Eric's just kind of walking around, the the blind boy is now walking around and sees Chloe and, and Ray sitting there having a nice little meal together. And they kind of, like, motion for him, like, hey, you can kind of have a seat with us, I guess. Let's kind of call bygones bygones. And he's not having that. No. But he had, he had in passing, he had seen Harry and Ken already at the right. bottom of the tower on the way up. And so Eric puts two and two together and he goes to the tower to tell Harry, Mr. Waters, that Ray is down at the bottom. The one who shot him in the eyes is down at the bottom of the tower and kind of free for the taking there. And so Harry pretty much decides that like he's going to leave Ken on the stairs and he's going to go and get Ray, kind of a two-for-one, I guess, for him. But but yeah, I mean, Ken being the friend that he is and the mentor that he is and knowing Ray at this point isn't ready to kind of like stop fighting Harry at this point and tries to stop him from going down the stairs or at least get his gun from him, which results in Ken getting fatally shot here.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I guess it's, it's hard to know if it's fatal because he ends up dying from something else, but yeah, probably would have been one thing I totally forgot to mention the the last mention of Yuri when they're still sitting at the table down in the courtyard he's the like, Yuri's a strange fellow, and he's like, the alcoves the alcoves in the conical park he's like, "Was he going on to you about the alcoves? yeah, <laughs> I just love that little exchange, but yeah, so now you know, we've got Harry running down the stairs trying to catch up to Ray who of course at this point still has no idea what's going on And we've got Ken starts trying to go back up the stairs to the top of the tower and this this song Which you figured out is called on Raglan Road by the Dubliners Mm -hmm. Starts playing and it's just like it's it's a great great song Just kind of set the mood for like what's coming, you know Like as as Ken climbs up the tower and as he gets down or as he gets up there It's like super foggy. So like he can't see anything He can't see what's below. So then of course we get the, the call back to the coins he you know, drops the coins and people are starting to react down at ground level and including Ken or Ray and Chloe start looking over there and you know, he puts the gun in his in his like in the inside of his coat pocket and then he just jumps. He's like, This is the only way that he has to to be able to warn Ray that Harry's there. So he jumps and however however long of a fall that is, obviously pretty pretty brutal when he gets when he lands down there. Oh um, yeah. It's yeah. I know that it's, um, it's a tall tower and we don't know how far down the tower they were when they had their struggle and Ken starts going back up and Harry starts going the rest of the way down. But it's like, man, it took Harry a really long time to get down, down those stairs. And maybe they, maybe they hadn't gone very, very far. Maybe they were still pretty close to the top. Cause the that's what I'm guessing. Ken was able to get all the way back up to the top and then, by the time he got down and then he dies and then Harry comes out from the tower. It's like that that took a long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you try to think about like where they were specifically on their way down from the tower, it makes more sense if they were just like only like one flight of stairs down or something like, okay, I guess it makes sense that Ken could have dragged himself up there and that it would take a lot longer, you know, but like it's with with the way the song is and the amount of shots there are of Harry still going down the stairs. You're like, it's kind of getting dragged out here. But yeah, yeah you don't really know where they are. You just kind of left to assume, but which is fine. Right. It works for the scene that it is. But yeah, when, when he, right. when he does the jump, well, the coins thing. Yeah. It was really cool. Just cause like, he's, he's using that as a warning to the people below because he doesn't want to hurt anybody. And right. in, in, in his doing this, which it works. And then man, the way he lands on the ground, you, it is, you've you already given a taste of this film. It's already violent in some ways. So you're yeah. not like going like a while surprisingly violent for this film, but it's like, Oh, I did not actually think we were going to see a main character like that, but Yeah. All right. right. There's clearly a loss of limb that happens as he hits the ground and Yeah. He's obviously brain-shook from landing like that, so Yeah. But, you know, Ray immediately sees him and runs over there cuz he knows it's him and Yeah. Ken gives him some kind of a warning, but the the gun thing didn't really work.
0: Yeah, he says, you know, he says that Harry's here. He's like, "Take take my gun and it's all broken." And he tries to ask him where's where's the other gun, and Ken just says, "I'm going to die now. I think," and it's very sad. It is such a nice guy.
1: It is. He is. Yeah. And but so, as,
0: as he says to, to Harry when they're at the tower earlier, like he legitimately loved Bruges, and it really was like like a, a good fairy tale kind of place for him to be before he died. Unlike for for Ray. So it's like he, in a in a sort of a way, he ended up sort of getting a happy ending just by being there because he really did enjoy it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for him. Yes. Yeah. He got to do something good on the way out. Yeah. But Ray encounters Harry now. Harry made it to the bottom of the stairs finally. After all that long winding stairs, he made it down. Didn't have a heart attack like the American. And he kind of has a, a look. He sees Ken, the only choice that Ken made and he sees that Ray has been warned and starts his shooting and we now we get the shootout in the middle of a thousand belgians which he said he didn't want to do or he wasn't going to do but he hey he's there for a reason for Ray and he's he's going to do it so he starts shooting at Ray and gives and you know Ray runs and so Harry gives chase and they're running through the the back streets of Belgium or Bruges and which is in Belgium yeah, which is it, it is in Belgium we know now but they're they're clearly not, they're clearly just like, you know, hitmen here. They're not born level assassins.
0: <laughs> yeah. They get tired very quickly. Right. And Harry is, he's not a good shot. I mean, the he wasn't that far. The first shot he takes, right, like when they're still around Ken's body, before Ray starts to run. It's like, man, no wonder you have to hire people to do these jobs because you can hit the broad side of a barn, apparently.
1: Right. And so, on their way back through all of their getting tired, Ray makes his way back to the hotel, I think mainly to check for a gun.
0: Yeah, he's trying to get the gun.
1: but he, he warns Marie, tells her that she and the you know she needs to get out of there, like otherwise she'd be killed. and so he's trying to look out for her, trying to save the next kid or whatever. Yep. And as he's up in the room searching for the gun, he can hear her talking to Harry down below, and he spies out, and yeah, there's Harry. And trying to and she's trying to like you know, you can't you can't be in here, you gotta get her this is my hotel. And I love what Harry says about himself. Like, lady, obviously I'm not gonna go through you. I'm a nice person. (laughs) Like, um Not as nice as you think. Right. But he's convinced himself that he's nice and justified and all that. But it's all about his
0: principles and honor and Right. And then they have this this great back and forth where they're like, you know, talking about what to do. so that they don't harm the lady and he's like uh, you know like i swear i won't do anything until we leave the hotel or something and he's like yeah like you said he's trying to save the next kid like he says like i'm not gonna have another kid die on account of me or whatever he says and and she's just like why don't you both put down your guns and go home but he's like don't be stupid this is the shootout (laughs) shootout. which is obviously just kind of a very meta line like yeah Obviously, kind of uh, just like a self-aware, like, this is the part of the movie where the shootout happens. So, of course, they're going to do the sensible thing. we got to have a shootout. So, Ray
1: proposes that, okay, so our room faces the canal, right? So, how about this? On the count of three, I'll jump out the window into the canal, and you go out the front, and you can shoot at me from there. And he's like, all right, got it. He agrees to it, and he goes, now which way do I go, left or right? (laughs) Go right, don't you? You can see it from the door. It's a big canal.
0: You go right, don't you? I love that. Uh-huh.
1: It's like, all right, all right. I've never, I right. I've don't know if he says, like, I've never been here before or something like that. But I've only just got here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they you know, they're all their back and forth, they figure out what the count is. They count to three and they go. And Ray does jump out the window, but he thinks it's opportune because there's a passing boat. And he's just going to jump on the boat and go away faster than he would have the opportunity to, if he was swimming and it's like, it's like a, it looks like a merchandise kind of barge or something like that, that he lands on. Yeah. And he's just sitting on the roof of it and telling the driver to keep driving. And Harry comes out to this little balcony, this overlook and can see Ray on the boat from there. And Ray's convinced himself that like, Harry's a terrible shot. He's not going to be able to hit me from there. Yeah. So he's just kneeling on this boat, like getting ready for him to miss him. But Harry takes aim and he's not such a terrible shot as he was before. And he, I don't know if he was aiming for Ray's head, but he still hits him regardless. Hits him just kind of like right in the abdomen or like, I'm guessing below the heart still, but like in the abdomen. Yeah. And it's one of the dum-dums, I think. And yeah. yeah,
0: Goes right through him, which he's lucky The or the, the, the boat driver is lucky it didn't hit him the way it went right through him.
1: Right. Oh my gosh.
0: considering what happens with the next few shots that go through.
1: Right. So yeah, he gets I... off the
0: boat and he ends up finding his way to that movie scene, which Jimmy had invited them to come watch earlier. And so there's the costumes and stuff people are wearing. It's a lot more just kind of that same imagery, with like the art they're looking at earlier with like the heaven and hell and all that stuff.
1: All the weird animals in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we see... Jimmy sees him, starts walking up to him. Harry catches up and shoots him, what, at least I think two or three more times.
1: Almost four. I tried to count. Yeah. I tried to count because I wanted to see if it was as many shots that Ray had taken at the priest, but I think it's less. Okay. It's like one shot less, but anyway, it's like similar to that kind of like behind-the-back shots. Uh huh. You know? Yeah. But goes right through him.
0: So he does, yep, and then he, he goes down and he says the little boy and Harry says, That's right, the little boy and then Harry can see Jimmy is on the ground and we don't we don't fully see him yet, but you know, Ray like crawls to him and it, it looks like a little boy and you can't quite tell that it's a dwarf, like an adult dwarf, because thanks to the dum dums, his head has pretty much been blown completely off. Uh-huh. So Harry thinks that he has killed a kid in the same manner that Ray killed a kid and they're, that failed job. So then he's like, oh, I see, the little boy. And he puts the gun in his mouth, and Ray is trying to tell him that, no, it's not It's not actually a little boy. And he, but he says, you've got to stick to your principles. And as he said, on the spot, he blew his head off. Not on the spot. He thought he killed a, killed a kid.
1: So he I mean, doesn't
0: stick to his principles.
1: Yeah, you got to give it to him. Sticks to what he says he's going to do. Yep. Which probably is why he gets so annoyed if people don't stick to what they say they're going to do. Right. Yeah, so we got Ray, obviously. He's not completely dead just yet. We're kind of left wondering what happened, but he's being picked up and carried through the town, or carried through the set of the movie by paramedics, which you had plenty of experience doing before. He's being carried through, and we get this another, just like the movie started, we get a short little monologue by by Ray yep. kind of saying like there's, there's a Christmas tree somewhere in London that's got presents underneath it that'll never be opened and I would love to go there and apologize to the mother I and mean, I would take whatever punishment she gave me but then it came to me that maybe this is all that hell really is that he's in it already the rest of eternity spent in Bruges I really really hoped I wouldn't die I really really hoped I wouldn't die. It was just like a such a poetic way for, at least dialogue-wise, for the film to end. You know, it's one of those endings where you're really sympathizing with the main character and their plight, and they've kind of come into, you know, this good emotional and realization arc of their life based on these events, and then you don't really know if he lives or dies.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, we recently covered Inception, And that's a very famous, well-known, ambiguous ending. So it's kind of like another one of those. It's just ambiguous. You don't know. Is he going to die? Is he not? Is he already? It's kind of like, I feel like part of how that last little segment goes, as he's being carried into the ambulance, like all of a sudden Marie is there. But she's like, just really calm, just kind of looking at him, standing over him. Mm-hmm. But then like Chloe shows up and she's like crying and really upset. So like, right. that, like, is even what's happening in that moment totally real? Or is some of that like in his head or like what's, what's happening there? But yeah, it's interesting. Right.
1: It, it, it kind of made me play with the idea of is like, is Bruges actually purgatory? You know, and, and is is Ray in this scene, like now being allowed to leave purgatory? Right. You know, or something. I don't know if that's what he was doing with this with his imagery and stuff, but yeah, I thought it was very very, very hitting, very well hitting way to end the film. Yeah. I would like to think that he survived. But I don't know. It would be fine. It would be kinda fitting if it all kind of came full full circle and this is where he passed. But based on the amount of shots that he took and where he took them, I would think that he probably didn't survive, but
0: Yeah, I'm wondering like where's the where's the closest trauma center to Bruges, like how, how far does he need to go to get to a trauma surgeon to yeah, I know. give him I mean, like, any chance of surviving that?
1: The only reference we have to a hospital is the one from the 1100s that Ken yeah. sees, but it's probably not still operating.
0: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. But overall, I mean, you get to the end of this film and like you said, like last night, like, why do you like this one? You know, there's, it's, it's hard to describe to people. and. Yeah. And it's not, I think as we said before at the beginning of this, it's not for everybody. There's right. a lot in it that people could not like, but there's a lot in it that you could too. And I think a lot of it has to do with the the very well done dialogue, the the way that the characters carry that dialogue and the different themes throughout and how, you know, I think this has a lot to do with the writing, but the way that things are referenced and then brought back, the way that characters are shown once and then brought back, like mm-hmm. it's just very well played out in this one, you know, contained town of Bruges, you know, it's just, it's a very good setting. And and I think it all just works together very well. So yeah, I would, I would hesitantly recommend it to people, even though it's in our top 10, there'd be times where I was like, I feel like I'd have to get to know somebody before I say like, you might like this. Yeah. I wouldn't just flippantly recommend this film. Totally.
0: Yeah. And that's the, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, this has been one of my favorite movies for over 15 years, but my my wife only just watched it for the first time two nights ago is because like i i knew that she probably wouldn't like it but it's like you know okay just for once because we're gonna cover it on the podcast i was gonna watch it anyway so like have her watch it with me just so we can say all right she's seen it now and i don't think she'll ever want to watch it again but yeah it's you just you kind of have to know the person you know their taste in in movies and stuff to know whether like I think this person would like this movie, and it's definitely not not for everybody.
1: No, but no, but I'm but I'm glad that we still kind of hold on to it. Oh and, yeah, and that we revisit it every once in a while. But it's a it's a good one to to rewatch and revisit and to enjoy it for what it is. To really enjoy it for what it is. So I can totally understand if there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast and are like, I don't really sure I want to take a chance on that. We get it, we get it. But if you did, we truly hope you enjoyed it that you enjoyed just like our different takes and our attempts at accents and talking through all the quotes and you know, the best parts of this movie are the quotes. So I hope that you've taken away at least some that you can use in life and many gifts that you can get from this one as well. So we do, we truly appreciate you joining us. We thank you so much for sticking with us through this one and all of our top tens, this top 10, our top 10 list will really kind of be coming to close here. I feel like within the next few weeks and then we've got a whole <laughs> amazing schedule of films to to go through as well. We're really excited about the next few months here. And I, I mean more than just a few. I feel like we've planned out quite a far in advance. So oh, yeah. yeah, we've got some great ones coming your way. But thank you so much for joining us. We are truly glad that you are here with us. Here at the end of this podcast.